Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Glad that. Good morning, Pastor John. Did you bring me an apple? <laughs> Say, Reverend Doctor to you. No, I'm kidding. Just joking. Pray for Ben's sanctification. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Listen, our uh, text today, for those of you who, um, who uh, may have heard it read earlier by Brother Joe, it's on page 570 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along, because I'm not going to rerun the whole thing, but I am going to take snippets out of it as we move along. Let me mention uh, a couple of announcements, if I may, get organized here. One is, uh, Don said I would mention baptism. This is a long month. Can you believe we're in May already? May 2016, and since Jesus is coming in 2018, we have a lot to do. That was a joke. Some of us are like, no, that's right. You need to talk to me later. But anyway, um, today is a big day. Um, For those of you who weren't aware, there is a meeting after our service. Uh, We're trying to provide lunch for us so that we can be all happy and not cranky and uh, come back and have a meeting, and hopefully we'll be all done by 1.30. I'll try to preach quick here. I'll be done in four minutes. No, I'm kidding. You, you know that isn't the truth. And, um, but we have a lot of weekends coming up, and let me just mention a couple. Today, because we're having that extended meeting, if you're interested in possibly serving in, in the areas of what goes on on Sunday morning in here, we'd love to have you come. We probably have enough food that we can feed you, and and have you uh, look into that possibility. So I want you to feel welcome to stay afterward. If you haven't already signed up, we'll we'll forgive you. And uh, we'd love to have you if you're interested. It's not a commitment. It doesn't mean you have to do anything. Wow, there's a dangerous statement for a pastor to say. But it's still true. So that's today. And because we're keeping people late, we're going to cancel prayer meeting tonight so as to honor your time. Everybody only has so much time. And um, we know that to be true, so I won't preach on that either. Um, Then over the next few weeks, we have Mother's Day, which is a big day, and we don't mess with Mother's Day. So after Mother's Day, you all go out and take your moms out to dinner and be good. And then um, the following week, the Zwarts are going to be with us again, and he has some exciting news about how God's leading him into the future. And we keep wondering, as mission committee people, How will we partner with some of our own missionaries and do something significant? So it's kind of exciting to think about. And then um, the week after, there will be, and now, by the way, the Zwart Sunday that night is prayer meeting as usually scheduled. Then there's too much prayer because the next weekend, I believe it's a 22nd, yes, there is a Hudson Valley Churches, our pastors, uh, fellow pastors and churches. We did this last year. I think 10 or 20 of us went, and uh, we really had a good time. I want to invite you to join us again. We can carpool if you want, but that'll be across the river at uh, Fishkill, and uh, we'll look forward to praying together. And then at the end of the month, which will be the 29th, we're having a communion and baptism service here together. So we'll enjoy fellowshipping, communion together, but also we've got some new brothers and sisters, and we have some other people who have yet taken the step of believer's baptism by immersion. If you're one of those, if you've been a Christian a while and you've never taken that action, I would love to talk with you. So make sure you get an opportunity to interact with me, get on my uh, schedule, and dialogue with me about that. Did I cover everything necessary? Who knows? I'm hoping I did. And uh, now we're ready to look into the Word, if we may, together. And last week I talked about spiritual leadership. Oi. And uh, made people nervous. I made somebody nervous this week. I won't tell the story without his permission. I'll get his permission, though, because it was too fun. If we talk about spiritual leadership, I thought it was only appropriate to talk about spiritual followership. Because you can't have um, great leaders without having great followers. You can't have great churches, and we have some around our nation and around the world, without having great Christian servants who make it happen, who get behind it and and, uh, leverage their giftings and their passion for the sake of the glory of God and for his kingdom. So 
I want to start today with a little humor. Uh, I never use humor, but I'm going to break the rules today. And uh, somebody passed on to me a little news clipping from the Babylon Bee. Has anybody ever heard of this? It's a, a Christian newsletter. It's really satirical. I want you to listen to this. Here's the headline. Dateline April 7, 2016. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Fullerton, California. A local father, Trevor Mickelson, 48, and his wife, Carrie, 45, are reeling after the discovery that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Janie, to church every Sunday, they didn't have a more pressing sport commitment, which was at least once every three months. She no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with now that she is college-aged. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained-out game or a break between school and club team sessions, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from the one tournament in 2011, we never missed an Easter. If you're not laughing yet, you need to come talk to me. Unless you're convicted. It was obviously a priority in our family. <laughs> we just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. His mother, I can't tell you how often we prayed the prayer of Jabez on the way to a game, added Janie's mother. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates just how the church keeps failing this generation lamented Trevor, citing a recently Googled study by Barna or someone. The Mickelsons further noted, plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after their younger son Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. <clears throat> Maybe we got some things wrong. What do you think? And that reflects really... Um, the bane of the American church today, the consumer mentality as we reference it, that has virtually destroyed the witness of Christianity in America. A while back, some of your leaders got their hands on this little book for distribution. Anybody remember? And um, I'm going to make comments about that toward the end, but I just want to read from the beginning, and it's called, it should be, Help, I Am a Church Member, but the title is, I Am a Church Member. That was a little humor, I'm sorry. I kind of lost it there. Let me see if I can find the thing I'm looking for. He's making a reference to where the church has been at, and this is in the uh, tale of two church members at the beginning. It says this, Based on our research of 557 churches from 2004 to 2010, nine out of ten churches in America are declining. Did you hear that? Nine out of ten are declining or growing at a pace that is lower than that of their communities. Simply stated, churches are losing ground in their own backyards. Another way of looking at it is generationally. I want you all to listen carefully to this paragraph. About two-thirds of the builder generation, anybody know who that is? They're in the room. They're in the room. The builder generation, those born before 1946, two-thirds of the builder generation are Christians. Two-thirds. The millennials are the largest generation in Americans' history with almost 80 million members. They were born between 1980 and 2000, and we have all but lost that generation. We can blame it on the secular culture, and we often do. We can blame it on the godless politics of our nation. We do that as well. We can even blame it on the churches, the hypocritical members, the uncaring pastors. Lots of Christians are doing that. But I am proposing that we who are church members need to look in the mirror. I am suggesting that congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We join our churches expecting others to serve us, to feed us, and to care for us. And I could add to that. We don't like the hypocrites in the church, but we fail to see our own hypocrisies. 
God did not give us local churches to become country clubs where membership means we have privileges and perks. He placed us in churches to serve, to care for others, to pray for leaders, to learn, to teach, to give, and in some cases to die for the sake of the gospel. I think I'm preaching this morning. What do you think? Don't encourage me, brother. You're dangerous. You know that? Many churches are weak because we have members who have turned the meaning of membership upside down. It's time to get it right. It's time to become a church member as God intended. It's time to give instead of being entitled. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But I thought it would be appropriate to give a little bit of a commentary on the E word. You see that in your notes there? Ecclesiology. I used this once before. I did define it. Hey, you guys. And uh, I have something for you. Don't leave. Sorry, I had a little private meeting there at your expense. I'm sorry. Ecclesiology. Anybody remember what that means? Somebody sang it. What was it? Come, don't be afraid. The, the doctrine of the church, right? Ecclesiology. Theology is doctrine, the word about God. Theos, right? Theology. Ecclesiology is the word about the ecclesia, the called out ones, the people of God. They've been called out of the world unto God. That's us. And ecclesiology, we could use a good revisit of that because it's been so downgraded in our generation. In fact, I was thinking about that. We wouldn't dare trash the deity of Christ, but we're thrilled to trash the authority of the church. God's plan in the world, plan A, he has no plan B. I don't care what shape it is. I don't care whether they meet in buildings like this. For a lot of us, it would be to our advantage if the building burned to the ground. It would make us function better as the church and get our priorities straightened out. It really would. (sighs) So let me just read something from a classic text. God's Forgetful Pilgrims by Michael Griffiths, recalling the church to its reason for being. It's my conviction that a fresh understanding of the biblical doctrine of the church practically related to our daily corporate activities as Christians can and will give a new sense of purpose and direction to our Christian lives. The church is not a third-class waiting room where we twiddle our thumbs while we wait for first-class accommodations in heaven. It's a dynamic new community, winsome and attractive, with an eternal significance in the purpose of God. The Bible makes it clear that the church is God's goal for mankind, for the new humanity in its new communities. God planned the church. Christ gave himself for the church. The Spirit is building us together in the church. I hope that this book will make us concerned, ready to give our lives for the building of the church which is what I've chosen to do. I look around and I see club mentality, cart, carb, <sighs> no, that's not the word, compartmentalization of our lives. We're all in our own little words. We're not functioning as that dynamic community that encourages, stretches each other, challenges each other, builds us up, rebukes us when our mouth is flapping in a way it shouldn't be flapping. And I go, oh, you're right. Thank you for saying that. Instead, we say, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Gee, maybe I was right, judging by your reaction. But anyway, great leaders, as I said, must have great followers, spiritual followership followership, pressing into discipleship. When I was called here and I begged you not to hire me, didn't I? Didn't I? Answer the truth now, class. Somebody reminded me that I did that. We wanted the church to grow up. We want the church to grow. We want it to do well. We want it to be successful. What I'm trying to say is for the church to do that, it means that the saints must do that. You must rise up for the church to rise up. It's the only way it happens. Either help make her great or go find something else useful to do. So the mentality that we have here in this funny little article, it's funny except it's so tragic because it's so close to home. And it does happen. 
So when I talk about leadership, let me just go back, or followership, let me just remind you that what I had considered valuable was what Paul said about the need in spiritual leadership. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Gesundheit. I, I just want to go on right. As best as I'm able, and I'm, I mean, I've got warts, okay? I don't mean physical warts. No, forget it, TMI. Um, I'm talking about all of us have weaknesses, right? All of us have sin, besetting sins, all of that, all right? My earnest desire is that you gain your full reward when you get to glory, that you get what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. I had a conversation during our... um, time of grief and celebration yesterday with somebody who's not part of the church anymore. Made a comment, and I think it's true, that, and I've used this behind closed doors, so I'm going to say it publicly. Do you know what happens when parents leave a household and leave the kids in charge for like two months? You know what happens when you come back? Yeah, you're lucky the house is still standing, first of all. Anybody ever done that? Gone away? Let's see. Has it burned down? Oh, no, it's there. Yay. (laughs) Sorry. I guess nobody else relates to that. Just forget that illustration. Well, we're so used to doing what we think is right. Hanging from the chandelier is right. No, it isn't. And then mom and dad come back and say, no, we're not going to hang from the chandelier anymore. And we've gotten into some, and this is what this brother said to me, we've gotten into some poor habits that we need to correct. And I'm going to be the bad guy. So I'm sorry. And, uh, but it's my duty. And not because I, I don't care about you, or I don't love you, or I'm trying to be mean. It's because I'm genuinely concerned for your welfare and the welfare of those that God wants to reach through you. So, Gesundheit. The H, I would recommend, for those of you who missed it, uh, two series, parts of the series that I've preached, two words, two, two sermons that are on the web, on our blogs, or whatever that's called, the podcast. Thank you. Um, the H word, does anybody remember that one? The H word and the Calvary Road. Anybody want to guess what the H word's about? No guesses. Okay. You better go listen to it, okay? The H word and the Calvary Road. Those two are probably the two most important sermons that I have shared in this series in Philippians. <clears throat> so, brethren, here's what the scripture tells us. If you have somebody who's genuinely concerned for your welfare, that kind of leader, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. I'm really dreading the fact that this sounds like I'm talking primarily about me. I'm not. I'm talking about a general principle. But I figure I got nothing to lose. I'm trying to tell you what is true. So when I see brothers and sisters who are leaders that are building the kingdom, that are modeling discipleship, I'm ready to throw myself behind them and serve with them. I've seen an awful lot of stuff in my 40 years of ministry. I've seen people undermine some of the best servants you can find. And I go, what are you thinking? I don't get it. Brethren, join, Paul says. You know that people turned on Paul. Did you know that? One of the greatest evangelists of the early church, and they trashed him. That happens because why? We're sinners. We're broken, right? And if we don't learn the H word and the Calvary Road principle, we may fall into that same problem. Brethren, follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. So that gives us a good reason for that review of spiritual leadership. If a person is setting the example, and by the way, spiritual leadership does not require perfection. Sometimes when you read the standards of the elders in the Timothy uh, letter, it looks like we're walking on water. You know, oh, I don't want to be an elder because you've got to walk on water. You have to be perfect and never make a mistake. Never have anybody upset with you. Well, good luck with that. Can't happen. 
I already told you, but I'll repeat this today. It's looking for authentic Christians who are trying to live out the gospel in their life authentically, not deceitfully. They're just being real, and they're not trapped in any scandalism. You follow what I mean? All right. Now, and we don't even know what that means, by the way, sometimes. I'm just going to tell you, I've been grappling with some of this. You know, scandalism, like stealing money from somebody, robbing your employer, sleeping with someone that isn't your spouse. Those are scandalous sins. And sometimes Christians don't seem to get that. But those people would be disqualified. But an authentic Christian, even if he has weaknesses and stumbles, he can be living that and moving in the right direction. If I see him pursuing God and letting God transform him, if he's a fat person, remember that? Faithful, available, and teachable. Anybody remember that? I said that once. Faithful, available, and teachable. If he's that kind of a person, there's potential leadership right there. And you know what? I can follow that. I see them pressing in. I want to follow that. People don't have to be perfect. guy that mentored me as a new Christian. In fact, where's Kathy? Kathy, Julie. Uncle Wynn. Uncle Wynn had some warts, right? He did. But I'm telling you what, he built something for the kingdom of God that was amazing. So I could follow him and sort out what was a little bit broken. Oh, that's, that's a weakness. Oh, I hate seeing that. And yet, God used him in such a way I fed off of that. I learned about faith and some other things being under his wing, if you will. So the first part, and you have notes if you, if you want to keep them. You uh, can fill in, do your little fill-ins. The valuing, the first part of good followership is to do what Paul says in this verse. Pay attention. Pay attention. If somebody's doing it right, pay attention. Learn to value the right stuff. That was a cool movie series, by the way, but that's not what I'm talking about. Learn to value the right stuff. We're in a culture that values all the wrong stuff, you know. TV icons, whatever, they're on their sixth marriage and they're giving us marriage instruction. Why would I value that? They're clueless. Oh, but they're famous. Oh, they're a rock star. Ooh. Value the right stuff. Here's what Hebrews says. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If they're doing it, pay attention. That's what he's saying. By the way, anybody know what the next verse in that passage of Hebrews is? Thank you so much. That was good. That was really good. And I have him leading a subgroup after in the meeting. I just, oh, was it you or was it your dad? Your dad? That's, oh, I'm sorry. I picked on the wrong people. Anyway, it was still good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. 13.8 is the next one. Consider their way of life and imitate their faith. What is the outcome of their faith? The next verse says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is part of their way of life. It's manifested. So cool. I got to turn down my um, ADD temptation right now because... That cracked me up. <laughs> Verse 8 is next. Thank you. Because <laughs> one of my burdens is I am pretty suspicious that a lot of us don't read the Bible too much or ever through. The gift that God's given the human race to know what he's really like. I'm hoping in the fall we can start fixing that a little bit. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their face. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Church membership, good followership, spiritual followership means living out the gospel. What you see that's working, work that into your life. Get it into your DNA. Bring it down into your shoe leather. By the way, this text forces us to look at people who are doing the opposite. So there's a section that was kind of negative. You might have heard it in the reading earlier. It went like this. Many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. They are enemies of the cross of Christ 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Now, I, I don't want to have to unpack all of that, but most of it just is straightforward language. Uh, I don't have to unpack the Greek, whose God is their appetite. But there is one word that I do need to um, unpack for you, and that is this word enemy. Here it is, the word enemies, ekthros. Very interesting expression, because what it means is stinks, odious. You ever hear that word? Odious. People who manifest something that goes in the opposite direction of the gospel, who affirm immoralities or sins or whatever and say that's okay, whose God is their appetite. It's not talking about just f food appetite. It's talking about our appetites. I'm going to explain what I mean in just a second. There are, unfortunately, some bad guys out there claiming to teach the scripture. There are. And there are people who are not necessarily bad guys, but they're really misguided, and they operate on the basis of their appetites or whatever it might happen to be, their desires. They're not in touch with their own depravity. That's a problem. When I'm not in touch with my own depravity, that the reason I want to teach is because I'm a little bit fat-headed, and the reason I want these people in my group is because I'm interested in that woman or whatever it might happen to be. And you say, oh, these are terrible things to say. Unfortunately, they happen all the time. I worked with a shepherd on staff who used to say to me, Oh, oh you, you were talking about noticing attractive... I never noticed attractive women. And I believed that until I had to knock on the hotel door, which I did. <clears throat> there are people who are off track. When I was uh, newly wed, let me give you a couple of samples. I just gave you one, which brought up a painful memory, as a matter of fact. My wife and I were in seminary at Denver, and uh, she was working in a Christian uh, preschool in a nice Baptist church, and they had their closing program. You know how we, ha we have closing programs? The school will have a closing program, and everybody comes, and all the parents come. And I supported my wife. I came to the program, and I was watching the worship leader in action, and I said to my wife, you stay away from that guy. And she said, oh, and my wife is such a nurturing, loving sister. She really is. Oh, honey, no, blah, 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 blah. She said that until about two months later, he ran off with the choir director's wife or whoever it was. Boy, I hate being right all the time. <laughs> Sorry, Chelsea. <laughs> a little joke. <laughs> oh, I was really sorry to be right. Well, I had a guy come to my church one time up north, and uh, really sweet, really sweet deme demeanor, you know, this humble, humble demeanor. I just want to gather some of your brothers and sisters together and teach them about the Father heart of God. And on and on it went. And then I started to find out a little bit, and I said, you can go teach someone else's people about the Father heart of God because you're dangerous. There was something sick in his life. So there are some of those. I'm not trying to make anybody paranoid. By the way, this is a great encouragement for you to start to learn how to get the spirit engrafted into your life because he'll help you. <sighs> Sorry. It's probably my fault. You loud preacher, you and you scared me with those ugly people you were talking about. <laughs> You're in good hands. And I know of I've been around, I've been around, well, anyway, I've been around. In the church, misguided, I'm just going to say it like it is, rock stars, you know? They think they're supposed to be treated the way the Kardashians are treated. And if they don't get their cookies behind stage doors, I've seen them. And I'm thinking, you have no business. You have no business preaching the gospel. Because it's all about you. I didn't, get, I didn't get the satin sheets I asked for. Literally. Help us, Jesus. But church people, oh, they're, oh, 
Value the right things. Follow those with the right attitude. Those kind of leaders should be valued. The ones like Rick Warren, I'm telling you, he gets more guff because he wrote the purpose-driven church and got rich. People, they have trashed him. Pastors have trashed him. They don't like his book. Whatever. It's gospel. It's basic. It's simple. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, gospel light a little bit. But it's straight up. And you know what I love about that guy? All the bucks he's made, he's given it all away. He gave it all away. He's lived on his church salary and nothing more as an act of discipleship. So stop giving him a hard time. That's what I say. If any of you did. I don't know. So anyway. Have I gotten the point across? Learning to value the right stuff. That's why Paul says this about Epaphroditus. Remember, a brother in a local church who got off his can and started serving God and was eventually recognized as a leader that they sent the money with him on a dangerous mission who almost died in the process because he would not be deterred from fulfilling his duty. And he did that for Paul. And then Paul sends the Bible back with him to the Philippian church. He says this. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard, as precious can be one translation. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. He stepped up to the plate. He was a model. And that moves us along, that we need to follow those kind of models. Find our place in line to serve as well. I didn't get a chance to say this earlier. I totally blanked out when I mentioned the builders, because there are builders in this room. I'm just telling you how it is. This church will probably close within the next 20 years if something doesn't radically change, because the builders won't be with us in 20 years. They're the ones who put their hands to the plow. We heard Pastor Minto, he was in here yesterday, the founder of the church, that some of the people like Jim Bays jumped on board to help him make this happen which was work. Anybody remember Maynard G. Krebs? (laughs) Dobie Gillis? I got to go to work. And he'd go, work! (laughs) Yes, it's work. But it was worth it. And the builders were faithful, and still are, faithful tithers, faithful attenders. They're part of the action, right? But their family is disappearing because younger generations don't want to contribute to institutional churches and Deadwood and all of that. Whatever their attitudes, I'm just telling you, without something transformational, without a discipleship injection of radical Holy Spirit DNA, and it doesn't matter whether we're in this building, that's not the important part, that there's a vital, genuine community of believers bringing the gospel forward into a very, very risky environment that we're living in today. Yes, ma'am. What changed with what? The discipleship factor fell out the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, we raised a generation that, well, anyway, I, I don't want, huh? Yeah, mentoring the next generation. Some of you have done it. You know, some of you have, because I see it. Kids are serving God. That's where they're parked. That's where their life is. So that's a great question. So receive him in the Lord. Hold him in high regard because of what he did. So let me just say this. When they're on the right path, follow their lead. Hebrews, again, just a few verses later than verses 7 and 8. Thank you, Ted. Uh, later on comes verse 17. And this is, I'm just going to say it straight up. Here it is. I hope it is. Obey your leaders. Ooh. That's scary. And submit to their authority. They keep watch over you. Here's the right kind of leaders. As men who must give an account. And the word obey, you know, it's not talking about, yes, sir, and and mindless submission like happened in Nazi Germany. That's not what we're looking for. The word is be persuaded. Have open ears. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. In fact, the King James says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. 
for that would be of no advantage to you. That's one of my faves because of, not because it tells you to obey me. That's not the point. Because it reminds me of why I'm here. And it also speaks to the fact that I have experienced quite a bit of grief. People who won't be persuaded. After all, we're Americans. We're independent. Nobody tells us anything. I've had parents. I've encountered somebody. I'm sharing. This is the wrong direction to go. You need to go this way. And the parents pull that child aside later and say, you don't have to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, if he doesn't, they should have fired him. But if he does know what he's talking about, oh, my brothers and sisters, what a horrible grief in my spirit because that kid, guaranteed, crashes and burns. And the parents are doing what these turkeys are doing, trying to blame everybody else. And it's not just in parental things. It's in how we grow as disciples and things that we need to weed our life off or go in this direction or go in that direction. Nope, nobody's going to tell me anything. Part of fellowship is being like Epaphras, Epaphroditus, who rose up as a servant, was recognized eventually as a leader. You start serving, you start growing, you start pressing into that. Who knows, maybe God will put his hand on you and ask you to step up and lead as well. Go and do likewise. Rise up and serve, and maybe one day also leave. Lead, not leave. (laughs) Although maybe. I know I'm weird to people. I know that. I'm one of those guys that will tell you, if you're, not, if, this, if you're doing a ministry here and it's killing you, stop it. If you're not thinking, this is the body where I belong, and I'm not sure about that nutcase hawko, go somewhere else. I'm not that desperate. Sometimes we've acted desperate. Oh, we ought to get somebody to stay, get them to stay. No, if they don't want to stay, this is... Now I'm preaching. Okay. All right, you got me all riled up. It's all your fault. No, I riled myself up, right? Here's the problem with this. When we, when we hand out this book, this, this was a good book. Here's the problem. If it's not in your heart, then it's like a lecture of laws. Do this, do this, do this. And how many have had enough of that in churches anyway? You know, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if it's not in your heart to want to honor Christ, first of all, there's something wrong. I don't know why. Maybe somebody wounded you. Maybe you're just lazy. Maybe you're not even born again. But if you want to serve him, then this is a good guide. It helps a little bit. Let me, let me read something out of it. May I? Of course I may. Nobody can stop me unless they come up and tackle me right now. <laughs> So I read about the builder generation, and the very first chapter was, I will be a functioning church member. Functioning. (laughs) Okay. And let me just read the other titles. If you want one of these, we have free ones. We give them away. We're that crazy, okay? I'll be a unifying church member. I'll not let my church be about my preferences and desires. By the way, our meeting this afternoon, that's one of the things we have to address do you know we're not going to reach anybody in this new generation unless we get over some of our hang-ups? I, I'll just leave it there. I will not let my church be about my preferences. I will pray for my church leaders, especially this one. He's crazy. He needs a lot of prayer. I will lead my family to be healthy church members. Lead my family. Some of us have some catch-up work to do. I'm not saying you're going to change anything. I'm not saying when we have adult kids that have turned their back on the church that I can force them to do anything. But you know what? It may be time to do a little soul searching, some prayer, and then set up a time to just have a heart-to-heart and then leave it in God's hands. And I will treasure church membership as a gift. That's the way Bonhoeffer looked at it. People in persecuted lands, they're thrilled to hang out with five Christians. That's a privilege. It breathes life into them. And some of us still come even into this room half cringing. Who's going to say this to me today? And what's going to whack me wrong this way and whatever? And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I want to see turned around. 
So in this little booklet, it talks about, I'm a church member, the pledge for a church member. And I'm just going to read it, the end of it only. I will be a functioning member. I will give. I will serve. I will minister. I will evangelize. I will study. I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Because he's talking about not an institutional church. He's talking about the body of Christ functioning together as brothers and sisters. Let me, let me meddle. I haven't done any of that this morning, have I? <laughs> Years ago, we had uh, John MacArthur. You've all heard of him. He came to our seminary, spoke in our chapel. It was a fascinating week. Taught on leadership in the church for an entire week. It was fun. But he made a statement that stuck with me to this day. If men, if the men in your church are not... And I know this, that let's not deal with the sexist issue right now because I'm going to address... Women next week, it's Mother's Day. Woo-ha! All right, so just shelve that. But what he said was, if the men in your church are not desiring, not desiring to become elders, there's either something wrong with you or there's something wrong with your church. That's stuck in my mind. Whoa. So... I've appreciated so much the leaders that I've seen in my life that have the right spirit and the right motives that have done good and got done right so that I could follow their example. And I'm grateful, too. We do have people who serve here. You guys know how to kick in. I've watched you do it. And there are those, even, who not only serve, but those who serve eventually lead, you know. I don't want to impose law. I would rather have a heart attitude at work. So let me close with this idea, if I may. There's one more part of this portion of Scripture that is really a great text, and it says this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a book here. I have a, a series, actually it's three of them. Anybody remember the prayer of Jabez? It was referenced earlier, the mom praying the prayer of Jabez going to the ball game. You know, it's like, Lord, bless, enlarge our borders, let our team win. You know, and God's saying, what do, I, what do I do? I've got three people who love me on the other team praying for the same thing. Now what do I do? Sure make it hard for God, don't we? I think uh, Adrian's got a great clip for later on that. But anyway... <laughs> So, sorry, I'm having a good time. Sorry about the rest of you. <laughs> and I really mean that. I, you know, if it's your gift, it breathes life into you, right? Yeah. It really does. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote something down for pondering. I need to decide, am I enjoying heaven while living for now? Or am I living for heaven while enjoying my journey now? They're different. And I'm going to tell you what I see, just being blunt. I see an, I see an awful lot of living for now. The prayer of Jabez was not meant to be left alone. The next book he wrote, and see, people took that, and being consumers and narcissistic as we are, we went like leeches on that. Oh, enlarge my borders, Lord. And the next one was Secrets of the Vine. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Because if you want the prayer of Jabez to work, you really ought to get this figured out. And then the last one is the life that God rewards why everything you do today matters forever. By the way, some great theologians had some things to write about this that we don't think much about. Example, let me quote Mr. Sproul. You've heard of R.C. Sproul? 
There are degrees of reward that are given in heaven. I'm surprised that this answer surprises so many people. I think there's a reason Christians are shocked when I say there are various levels of heaven as well as gradations of severity of punishment in hell. What? Hey, he said it. Take it up with him. But let me read Wilkerson, just one page. Great Expectations. He's talking about the, um, the wicked servant, you know, the servants that either um, didn't use the things the master gave them or they trashed it or buried it or whatever. And the whole point of that is that we're going to give an account. That's the whole point with what we've been given. Great expectations. Let's look at three common misbeliefs about stewardship among Christians today and the corresponding truth Jesus wants us to see. We think that even though God gave us our gifts and talents, he's not bothered if we don't make, up the most, make the most of every opportunity. Let me read it again. We think that even though God gave us our gifts and talents, and you have a gift, if you're born again, you have a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. He's not bothered if we don't make use of it. Really? So you went through a lot of trouble to buy your kid a bicycle, and they left it out in the rain, ignored it for the rest of its existence, and you're thrilled about that, aren't you? But the truth of the first steward shows us that God expects us to take the resources of our lives and greatly multiply them for, our kingdom, for his kingdom. Number two. We think that if God does reward us for serving him, his reward will be a general commendation that will apply to everyone equally and won't change our future opportunities in his kingdom. But the truth of the second steward is that God will reward our work for him, but it will be in direct proportion to how much we have multiplied our life for him. His response will have a major and eternal impact on our future. In other words, if I'm living for then, I'm enjoying my journey here. I think Christianity makes life really fulfilling. I think it's great. I'm not in a hurry to go home to heaven. I'm, I'm in a hurry to go home later. I want to take a nap. But, uh, but I'm not in a hurry to go to heaven, but I'm planning ahead. So he says, last thing, we think that if we don't serve God with what he's given us, the worst that could happen will be no reward. Oh, I don't get a big crown. Oh, shucks. But at least I'll be in heaven. And he says, but the truth of the third steward is that if we do not use what God has placed in our care for him, we will suffer loss. That's what the Bible says. Suffer loss of both the potential reward we could have earned and the opportunity to serve God more fully in eternity. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Thank you, sir. Remember that? And it really does. In other words, how I am learning to be a disciple and serve God now is preparing me for my assignment there. Anybody hear me? What I'm doing now is going, I hope I get, you know, I hope, anyway. It does have an impact. How I'm preparing, how I'm serving, how I'm growing as a disciple sets the stage for where God's going to place me in glory. Like it or not, you dig into the scripture, there are gradations of glory, just like with the angelic realms, rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions, and so captains, sergeants, privates, KP. Now, it will be heaven, so KP will be fun. No question about it, but also have no question. How we're living now will have results when we stand before God. It will. So I'm trying to encourage us to start taking the body life of Christ, what God had in mind with the body of Christ, to be a living organism where we minister to one another, where we really are connected and not in our isolated silos of life. There are people here, we don't know what's happening in each other's lives, and some of it's pretty bad, and some of it's pretty good, but we're missing each other because we're in our own little thing. It's got to change or there will be no future. I'm just telling you. And I'm here, I think, because I have some hope that there's a future. Okay?
So let's pray. Would you stand with me? I want to thank you, God, that our brother Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book that says, The Life That God Rewards. Because, God, I do want to enjoy my journey here, but I want to be planning big time for then. My parties here, my vacations, my retirement, whatever it might be, is nothing in terms of the time I'm going to be spending in glory. Nothing. So just as people come up short when they reach their 50s and 60s and go, oh, my goodness, I haven't planned. I haven't built up my IRA. I was stupid. I I made the wrong calls. I'm afraid we're doing the same thing many times in this world. When we step through that door into glory. Lord, I would like everyone who has heard my voice today to come up on the other side saying, hey, hey. Glad I planned ahead. Please help us. Help us as an assembly. Help us to impact those around us. We, we have had a few people come into the kingdom. We're delighted. We love these new believers. But, Lord, there are so many outside that we wouldn't even countenance. They're not even remotely like us. So I'm praying, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would help us. Help us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. We commit ourselves to your grace. I ask for your angelic protection on your people in this week. In Jesus' matchless name, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 You are dismissed if you are staying for the meeting, and we welcome you to do that. There's food served in the uh, gymnasium. We'll try to be quick about that and get everybody on their way by about 1.30, we hope. Otherwise, have a great day, and don't get wet.